Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church. So we are Holy Spirit Reliant. This is the third part of our DNA, that genetic makeup that makes us Christians, but also makes us who we are as a church. What do you mean by Holy Spirit Reliant, Greg? What are you talking about? What I'm saying is that you can do things in your own strength. You know, there are these oil lamps. We used to use them when we were camping in Africa. It's a lamp with a reservoir of oil underneath, and there's a, a rope wick that dips into the oil. And the plan is for the oil to come up through the rope wick. And when you light the rope, then it sucks the oil up and it burns with a pure, clear light for a long time. The problem is if that oil runs dry, when you light the rope, it's just the rope burning without any oil and you get thick black smoke and a horrible smell and the lamp goes out quickly. You know that Jesus told a parable about virgins. Five wise virgins had oil in their lamps and five did not. They were trying to be Christians in their own strength, with their own energy, with their own wisdom, without the oil, the power, the life of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't make it. When the bridegroom returned, they weren't ready. They weren't able to get to heaven. Because if you're trying to be a Christian in your own strength, you can go through the motions. You can fool other people. You may even fool yourself that you are being a good Christian. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about DNA. We've been saying that even though you have a natural, earthly, fleshly DNA that was given to you by your parents, God's plan is for you to be born again. Another way of saying that is for God to put new DNA, spiritual DNA, eternal, powerful, supernatural DNA inside you. Jesus said to a man called Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again by the spirit. And what he was saying is that you must have this injection of Holy Spirit life power. It's not enough just to be born as a human and live and die because then we don't get to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It has to be a Holy Spirit supernatural thing. But the good news is when we cry out to God, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10 says, will be saved, which means God comes in, he cleans you up, he forgives you, and he puts a brand new DNA, a Holy Spirit DNA inside you. You become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. And God then starts working that new DNA in your life and it starts to change you and even override weaknesses in your physical DNA. And you're no longer identified as a particular family line or a particular race or nationality. Old things are passed away. We are a brand new creation. We've got a new DNA. Galatians 3 says, if you've been baptized, you put on Christ and you are now of the lineage of Abraham by faith. We're a whole brand new race. Ephesians 2 says God took Jews and Gentiles and he made one new race out of them in Christ. God has done something amazing in the DNA when he puts the Holy Spirit in you. And I am so proud to be a Christian and of the family of Abraham 
and not of my previous lineage. Because when we're of God's family, He is our Father. He is watching out for us. And we have a new destination, which is heaven. Are you there? Have you got that Holy Spirit DNA? Just cry out to Him even now. Say, Lord, please come, forgive me, wash me, change me, clean me, and make me brand new by putting new DNA in me. And I will live for you for the rest of my life. And if you pray that prayer, let us know. Tell us today or send us an email. Let us know so we can walk with you and pray with you through this. Hallelujah. I want to talk today about the third part of our DNA, which is Holy Spirit reliant. We've said that we love the Bible. We're radically Bible based. We said that we are passionate worshipers. You say, Greg, what are these characteristics? What I am saying is that we as a church have some characteristics that make us different to other churches. Now, other churches love to worship. Other churches love the Bible. But when you mix all these characteristics together, you get the characteristics of Lighthouse Church in Jersey. And I am telling you this so that you can say, is this my family? But also so that it can inspire you to say, God, what is my DNA and where is my tribe of Christians? Because God designed every single human to be in a physical family and every Christian to be in a spiritual family. We need each other. We need each other's input and help and fellowship and love and blessing. So find your family. And we would love for you to be part of this family. But if it's another family, we will love and support you in that because we're all cousins in Christ, but not everybody is supposed to be in the same little church family together. Everybody must find their tribe so that together we can express the DNA that God has put in us. I was doing a series of talks recently for Lighthouse Church in Mutari, which is a church in Zimbabwe that we helped to plant 20 years ago. They're having their 20th anniversary at the moment. And I did the talks on the seven churches of Revelation, which were all very close to each other geographically, but they had different characteristics, different expressions of DNA. At the start of that message that Jesus gives to the seven churches, he describes himself, blazing white hair like wool, eyes like fire, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Uh, he's shining his face like the brilliance of the sun. He's got a robe on and a sash and bronze looking feet. Uh, his voice is like the multitude of waters. He describes himself. He says he's got keys. He was dead. He's alive. He's the first. He's the last. But then when he talks to one of those seven churches, he emphasizes just part of that description of himself. So to one of them, he says, I am the one who has the keys. I open doors that no one can shut, etc. To another one, he says, I was dead. I'm alive now. Uh, to another one, he says, I'm the one with a two-edged sword coming out of my mouth. To another one, he says, I'm the one that walks in the lampstands and holds the seven stars. And each church saw a different perspective of Jesus, but also shone that perspective to their region and the world around them. And each church has a DNA and our church's DNA. We just picked four characteristics. The first is we love the Bible so much. We're radically Bible-based. The second is we're passionate about worship. The third is we are Holy Spirit reliant. And the fourth one is going to be a world outreach vision. But when I say Holy Spirit reliant, 
I'm talking about the fact that we need the Holy Spirit. You know, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died, then he's risen again. He's been with the disciples for 40 days. And as he's about to leave them, there's going to be a 10-day hiatus between him leaving them and Pentecost when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he's about to leave them, so get this picture. There's 120 people following Jesus. Out of the thousands who used to wander around on the hillsides and in the streets following him, there were 10, 20, 30,000 people sometimes following Jesus, but only 120 remained after he died and risen again, which is quite significant and amazing. They were gathered together for 40 days. He was talking to them and, and fellowshipping with them. They knew he'd risen again. They knew that Jesus had died and risen from the dead. And yet, in Acts chapter 1, he says to them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Did you notice what he said? He said, wait. They knew because he'd given them the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. They knew their mission. They knew they were supposed to go out and plant churches all over the planet. But as he's leaving, he says, wait, do not do anything. Do not leave Jerusalem until you've had this thing called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized simply means immersed or covered or dunked. And he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Don't try and do anything until that's happened. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So they still had the same commission to go and be witnesses, but without the power, without the oil in the lamp, without the tools, without the energy, without the fuel in the tank, they couldn't do it. They mustn't do it. It's like sending soldiers into war against an enemy without any weapons or without training, or without the right equipment. It's, a lot, it's like trying to do a 100-kilometer journey in a car without fuel in it. He says, don't even try. And I want to say to you, we as Christians must not try and do God's work without the power of the Holy Spirit. You say to me, Greg, doesn't every Christian have the power of the Holy Spirit? Surely that was just them. They had to wait 10 days. Then in Acts 2, they got filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire came and rested on each of them. They all started speaking in tongues and prophesying. But that was then. Surely now every Christian, as soon as they become a Christian, they are automatically filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to wait. The minute we get saved, we can go out and fight the devil and do witnessing to the ends of the earth. Greg, isn't that right? Aren't we all empowered by the Holy Spirit? Doesn't 1 Corinthians 12 say we've all been baptized by the same Spirit? What, what's that all about, Greg? Well, Acts chapter 6, just a couple of chapters later, verse 3, the apostles are telling the people to choose some uh, servants, some helpers, some, some men who are going to help them lead the church. And in verse 3, 
they say, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. They said, look for seven men who are of good reputation. They are known to be wise and they are full of the Holy Spirit. Why would they say that these men must be full of the Holy Spirit if every Christian was automatically full of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because not every Christian is automatically full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus. He finds 12 disciples there who understand about Jesus. They'd been taught by Apollos who understood correctly, the Bible says, about Jesus and taught correctly about Jesus. So they knew the doctrine of the gospel. But he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because it's possible for people to know all the right stuff, but not have the equipment, the power, the tools, the energy, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says you've all been baptized by one spirit into one body. It's not saying you've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get baptized in water, we've done several recently in our church. Me or another person in our church will baptize the person under the water. I'm the person taking hold of their shoulders or whatever it is and putting them under the water. I'm baptizing them into the water. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You've been baptized by God's Spirit into Jesus's body, but that doesn't mean you've been filled with the Holy Spirit until you've done what they did in the New Testament. There are so many stories. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria and he has a great revival. Thousands get saved, but he has to wait for Peter and John to come from Jerusalem to lay hands on them and pray for them to be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul, in Acts chapter 9, Paul or Saul, he gets saved, but he has to wait three days until Ananias comes, lays hands on him and prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius' household, and it's only when they believe properly that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I've already mentioned Acts chapter 19. So we can see that it is possible for a person to believe, to be saved, but to be in the same position as the disciples just before Pentecost. You know Jesus. You've learned from him. You've fellowshiped with him. You've walked with him. You've believed. You've seen him crucified for you. You've even understood he rose again, but you haven't yet been clothed, clothed with power from on high. You haven't yet been filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So what do we do as a church? We teach that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't teach that it's something you earn or something you deserve or something you only get if you've done so many hours of service or been at church so many years or studied so many scriptures or given so many pounds or dollars. We don't teach any of that. We say it is a gift. Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, Jesus said, if an earthly father is asked by his child for bread or for something to eat, he's not going to give them a snake or a, or a stone. He's going to give them good things. In the same way, your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit 
to his children who ask him. It's not something you earn or deserve. It's not a badge of, of seniority or of achievement or of spirituality. It's simply saying, Jesus, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. And then we just believe in faith. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is writing to this church and he says to them, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's talking about when they were filled with the Spirit. He says, was it because you did good works of the law or just you heard by faith? You see, the hearing by faith is all we have to do. We say, yes, Lord, I understand that if I ask, I will receive and I'm believing you. I'm believing you're a good, good father. I'm believing it's a gift that I can't earn or deserve. I'm believing that when you say you will give the Holy Spirit, you are correct and you are trustworthy, Lord. And so it's the hearing of faith. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He repeats it again in verse 5, a couple of verses later. He says, God does not do it because you obey the right rules, because you say the right formula. It's hearing by faith. And so, how does that work? You hear Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, where Jesus says, if you ask your Father, He will give the Holy Spirit. Let me just read those words to you so that you, you can rely on them fully. Luke 11 and verse 13, He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Friend, can I ask you that question? If an earthly parent will give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A child can't deserve the food they get from their parent. They shouldn't have to deserve it or earn it or work for it. It's a parent's love and joy to give good things to their children, to give food to their children. And if they ask for bread, their parent gives them good food. The same is true of God, except he says, how much more? If you say to your heavenly father, God, I don't deserve it. God, I know I'm saved by grace, not because I'm good. God, I know I'm a brand new baby Christian, but I'm asking you to fill me, to baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Please do it. He says, yes, not because you deserve it. And also not because you've got a funny goosebumpy feeling. That, you, that you've been filled. It's by faith. It's the hearing by faith. In other words, faith is different to feelings. Faith says, I believe it because God said it, not because I see it or feel it. And so I say, thank you, God, that I've been filled with your Holy Spirit. And then I start to do what they did in the Bible when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with boldness. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. They laid, laid hands on the sick and prayed for healing. They listened to words from the Holy Spirit, and they obeyed them. Let me quickly go through the story in Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius's household and just show you the difference between being relying on the Holy Spirit and relying on our own ability. So in Acts chapter 10, imagine the story without the power of the Holy Spirit, because a lot of churches nowadays say they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't rely on His power. So it starts... There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms or gifts generously to the people. 
and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said, there's a man called Simon. You've got to send for him and bring him. That's the first example of a supernatural involvement. It was an angel, but it also involved the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the supernatural power of God. Imagine that hadn't happened. Cornelius would have lived his whole life being a good, devout, religious man, but he would not have been saved because he only got saved at the end of this chapter. Uh, in verse 9, the next day they drew near the city. Peter went to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry. He wanted to eat, but while he made ready, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descended to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And Peter realized through a vision and through the Holy Spirit speaking that he must be willing to go to Gentiles, non-Jews, and tell them about Jesus. And so when the men knocked at the door, he said, yes, I must go with you. Again, what would have happened if the Holy Spirit had not been involved and there hadn't been visions and guidance and, and he hadn't been sensitive to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? We've got Cornelius, who would have been a religious, unsaved man. We've got Peter, who wouldn't have heard the voice of the Lord and wouldn't have gone. Anyway, Peter goes there. He goes into their house, verse 24. Uh, Cornelius was waiting for them. He called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped. But Peter lifted, it up, lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. Peter then starts preaching to Cornelius and telling him about Jesus. And at the end of his sermon, he's talking about Jesus, verse 40, he says, God raised Jesus up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Peter's preaching and Cornelius' household are listening intently. But now in verse 43, Peter is still speaking. He says, to him, Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter is preaching, but the power of God's spirit is with him to preach well. And he says the all important statement, whoever believes in Jesus will receive remission of sins. It's not your goodness, your religiousness, your gift giving, your all the different religious activities you've been doing. You must believe in this Jesus who was crucified and rose again. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Next verse. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water baptism, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So they were saved. 
What would have happened in Acts chapter 10 without the Holy Spirit? What happens in our churches without us being open to His presence, welcoming Him, listening for His voice, speaking in tongues, prophesying, praying for healing, um, being led by visions and, and guidance from Him? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. We would be dead, dead, dead. We could be like oil lamps without the oil. We're going through the motions. We're doing religious things, but the power of God's Spirit is not there. So what do we do as a church? We make time to listen to His Spirit. We pray and we're guided by Him. We hear His voice. We speak out prophecies, words. Sometimes in church, people will say, I have a scripture to share. I feel the Lord is saying this. I have a picture that I want to share. We pray for people and lay hands for healing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are reliant on the Holy Spirit. We make room for Him. We honor Him. We welcome Him. We love Him. Friend, are you reliant on the Holy Spirit? Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Holy Spirit, please help us. I pray for those right now who've been stirred by my words. Friend, ask Him. Say, Lord, please give me your Holy Spirit. I'm your child. Please fill me right now. And I will step out in faith like Peter on the water. I will start walking using my own muscles, my own voice, my own mouth and lips and tongue. I will start speaking words in another language. I will pray and prophesy. I will walk in the fullness of the Spirit because you've said, if I ask you, you will give me the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.